I am Pete George, and we are live on Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. Our guest tonight is Mike Finnegan. Woo! Everybody's talking about how they don't like the blue, but you're wrong. <laughs> I got me an uptight girl.
place so I could come over and sit with Mike. All right, I, I, I can't even I can't even talk about that. All right, Pete, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you set the shot after this. I'm gonna switch with you. Thank you, Pete sure. George here. Mike Finnegan. Okay, we had to do that because welcome, Mike. Thank you. We had to do that because this is totally my screw up because we should have been doing this in your house so that we could have you play. Your real Hammond organ. Well, I'd be playing the piano at my house. I, don't, my wife doesn't allow Hammond organs. In she house. doesn't? No. How come? I'm just kidding. No. There ain't enough room, man. That takes, the grand piano's enough, for, you know, it takes up enough room. So, okay, so how did you start playing? All right, we're going we're gonna to be all over the place, but how did you start playing Hammond organ? I mean, I, I'd imagine you didn't have one when you were No, no. I, well, I, I actually didn't. I had piano lessons when I was quite young. And you know, when you're six or seven, you don't like it. Were your parents musical? Yes, very much. Yeah, both my parents were real good singers. My mom played the piano a little. Uh huh. And so, you know, they wanted me to play, and I didn't want to. Like I said, when you're six, you know, like this stinks. I don't want to do this. It's medicine. Yeah, man. It's no fun. But I, I played drums then for a while, like uh -huh. uh, as I got older, and and uh, then I, I don't know, I just Fine, heard the Hammond organ later and. At some point when I was in my late teens and, and went to college in, at Kansas University, I... On a I, basketball scholarship. Yeah, basketball. You are one tall drink of water. For those of you who don't know, Mike walked in 6'5", this guy is. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, you know, I, I started playing with some guys and I just got a Hammond organ somehow. It was, it was because of a guy in Wichita that had a Hammond organ store that really liked me, I guess. He was like a... He played and he was good and he had played with a bunch of big bands and like Tommy Dorsey and different people mm -hmm. and he just thought, this kid's crazy. So I mean, you know, a Hammond and a Leslie Speaker, I think it was like 1500 bucks and that 1964, that's all the yeah. money in the world when yeah. you're 18. Yeah. You know, and 19 maybe I think I was in and he carried the loan at his, uh, in his store and uh, you know, I gave him a couple hundred bucks and made payments and. You know, that's how, how that worked. Okay, so now wait. So you're, you're six years old. You're taking piano lessons. You're not liking it. You're doing sports, obviously, right. because you end up with a basketball scholarship. Yeah. So you playing piano, like, all through? No, no. I was no. like, I'd fool with it a little, but I played drums. I wanted to be a, you know. Are you singing? When do you start I, singing? Well, I sing it all the time. You, you know, sing it all choirs the time. And, mm -hmm. and singing with, you know, and around, you know, with, with my parents. I mean, I just want to say, days, by the way, I, I... The first time I heard you, I had no idea you were white. I couldn't imagine that you were white. No, seriously, the way he yeah, sings, right? Absolutely. No, yeah. Anyway, so you're singing in in like church choir stuff? No, just in school and mm -hmm. and uh, and with my parents. I and you know family stuff. Like, you know, I'm pretty old. So in those <laughs> days, you know, one of my aunts, Aunt Louise, played the piano real good. And yeah. And people would. You know that that's when the the radio and the piano were kind of the center of the house, mm -hmm. in terms of like what are we gonna do now? You know, and uh, so you know there was a lot of singing going. So on. what kind of music did you grow up with? What kind well, of music were your parents lot, listening a to? A lot of different music. Uh -huh. Both my parents were my parents had great taste. They had mm -hmm. they had records of Art Tatum and Benny Goodman and Louis Armstrong and and uh, they had gospel music. Mahalia Jackson mm -hmm. and the Wings Over Jordan and and um, you know they just had all kinds of really great popular American music and and um, which is what I call all American music and and so I, I was exposed to good music because they listened to music all the time 
and you but know. as you as a kid and you're going to school and you're out in the world I mean are you listening to to Fats Domino of course Barry, you know, that was later on when I got older uh-huh. then you know like I, I started buying you know like a 45 was 99 cents okay well do you remember what your first yeah of course was? my first my first uh, I'm trying to remember it was probably a Fats Domino record but mm-hmm. it might have been Honky Tonk by Bill Doggett that mm-hmm. was in the, in among the first Etta James, I bought uh, The Wallflower by Etta James when I was like, you know, I, I mean, when I was like 11 or 12, I, I had a paper route and I had my own money and I'd spend, make four or five bucks a week and spend it on records. You know? And so how surreal was it when you ended up playing with Etta James? That was really surreal. That was beyond anything I ever could have imagined. Uh, I'll never forget playing with Etta James. I played mm-hmm. with Etta off and on for about 20 years and that was like one of the greatest things in my whole life mm. uh, just because I'd been listening to her since I was a child almost I mean I was 13 or 14 maybe younger when I first heard her and how'd you get that gig? Um, she liked me <laughs> well that's easy that's, that's easy to uh, but do I mean, she heard me you know playing and singing somewhere and and, and so I um, I I got to you know she she I don't know. She just I, somebody contacted me and said Edda likes you and would you like to play with their band? And I'm like, yeah, you know. And like I, I actually was her music director for like two years, and then I went back to work with Crosby, Stills and Nash, which was cool with that because she knew like that's where the money is. She used to say, "Go get that money when you get done, come back," you know. And and that's what what happened. I'd go on the road with with CSN and and. Um, I believe I saw you on that road. Um, So what was that? Okay, so uh, we're going to touch on, we're kind of all over the place. I'm not very linear. But those were kind of crazy drug-drinking, drugging days back with Crosby, Sills, and Nash, right? Well, and before them, too. Yeah, I'd like to blame it on them. Okay, so let so so if we're not going to blame it on them, so I so guess I have to blame it on me. Man. So you had some debauchery. So so were you drinking when you were a kid? How did you start drinking? No, no, no. I, I um. I didn't drink until until I got to college, and then oh. I only drank a little. Oh. And I, I when I was I moved to Wichita after I dropped out of college after one year, and to be in a band like my parents thought I was insane, and and I was. You know, mm-hmm. let's face it, you don't give up a four year scholarship to go play in a band unless you're insane. But <laughs> anyway, still. I'm telling Pete that the light's in the shot. Yeah, I'm trying the to light's... Hey, and man. You, and you, you just got to make the shot a little bigger. Because it's, it's... Yeah, you just got to make the shot a little bigger on the thing. <laughs> Don't be scared. It'll be okay. Meanwhile, my daughter was one shooting the show for me, and she accidentally was doing that, and it flipped around and showed her, and so her eyes go... And That's then, good. <laughs> so she should get, get her... She should get, get credit. A little bit more, Pete. You can do it. Um, so, so... Anyway, I yeah. was like... Uh, you know, I was playing with older guys, and... Mm-hmm. Playing with um, you know, like it was a mixed band, what we called back then, which is a black, some black people and some white people, and uh, some black people and some white. Yeah, they people? called it like in those days they, that was called a mixed band. So there was still segregation when when this. Well, was there was, I mean, South. not obvious. Right. It was still, I mean, you couldn't get booked in some clubs, which in those days that's where I was working. I was working in nightclubs, and yeah. people were going to nightclubs to hear music. Right. You know, this is before the. Summer of Love and all that stuff. And right. Like, anyway, um, so, you know, there were certain places where if you, they would book a, 
an all-black band, but they wouldn't book a mixed band. And yeah, because so, they don't like to see us together. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't ask me to explain. Is that really true? Yeah. So, but anyway, Still those deep, guys, sorry. those were all older guys, and, and they're the ones that like, got, you know, turned me on to marijuana and, okay, other, so and then other things. And, yeah. you know, so like, I don't think that's necessarily a gateway drug, but that, and then, you know, like there'd be, you know, like some up me pills, you know, mm -hmm. like if you have to drive to Chicago to open the next night, then you might need some help. And, so what was your drug of choice? What do you got? Uh, okay, it was it was that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, Pete, I'm still talking to you. We 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 need a little bit more because it's still in the shot. This one. All right. You know what? Maybe we'll just get that one. It's just still in the yeah, shot. It's, in the it's shot. making me crazy. Yeah, it's in the it's in the picture frame. It's, don't oh, make yeah. her crazy. Don't make oh, don't you know make me what? come out there. Don't make me come out there. This is a very professional show, and as you could see, we started the show by focusing on my computer because. I screwed up and we should have been in your house so that you could have been playing for us and I'm really sick That's that, I, okay. didn't, no that I didn't do that. Um, so, okay, so so you're taking anything, a little ups to get there and, and when are you starting to, do, do you ever realize you have a problem? I mean, at some point you realize Well, you have yeah, a problem, but, but it was like a, it was kind of a slow, slow, um, you know, descent mm -hmm. into addiction and that Did it ever until, get in your way as far as your work? You know, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, gets yeah. In, it gets in the way. Yeah. I mean, like, it didn't for a long time, and then it did. And um, Did you play Loaded? Not that much. I mean, I'd play with a glow, you know, like, I didn't with do... With a glow. I mean, I'd smoke a joint or something, you know, but I was never... I, well, I can't say never. A couple times I was toe up from the flow up, but... Toe up from the flow up. up. See, now I cut off the top of Mike's head. To, so I'm sorry, people. Need to need to check up from crazy. the neck up. <laughs> check up from the neck up. <laughs> yeah. So, so at, at what point in your career? So, are I mean, you... it was later on. Like, I, it was probably in, I think it started to, I mean, I had record deals. Yeah. Solo records and band record deals. And, and I did not take care of business. You know, I mean. Did you have a reputation? Oh yeah. Oh oh. Yeah, I oh. mean, at at the time, I didn't think that was a big problem, and it, and culturally, to some degree, it probably really wasn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it it did start to interfere uh, with my work um, more than I thought, and you know, because when you toe up, then what you think ain't right, and. You know, not, this isn't hurting anything, but it, it was affecting my my family, of course. And by that time, I, by the time, I faced the fact that I had uh, a problem that had to be addressed. That you know, I had two children that were young and and um, owned a house and had been married for sixteen years. And, oh wow! And um, at the you know, and things were and like I, you know. I blew through all my great opportunities with various record labels and, you know, never realizing, uh, hey, you're messing this up, you know, like. But meanwhile, you're going. working steadily through the Well, whole I was, life. but I wasn't taking, I was, I was working, always working, but mm -hmm. I didn't take advantage of my own opportunities. Uh -huh. That was like, oh, I can do this, you know, like, that, like it's never going to end, you know, there's always going to be opportunities, but there isn't. And so... Um, basically, that's like I regret the fact that I didn't take advantage of all the wonderful opportunities that I was given. That because you don't get nothing coming, mm 
Can you, you know? can you give me an example of like something that you didn't seize when it was there? Well, yeah. I mean, if you have a record, if you have a solo album deal on Columbia Records, you should do everything you can to make that work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the, the, the performances were good. The record was good. The, but the follow through after that was not good. I'm not talking about anything specific. I'm talking right. about just in general. Like you're either present and focused on what you're doing or you're not. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, I wasn't, you know, I was focused on a, a lot of other stuff along with that. Cause you can do that. So you, you know, like in that, in that mindset, you, yeah. I can do this, 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 and this, and that, and that won't hurt anything. You know, whereas the sane person goes, oh, yeah, that don't hurt. That hurts a lot of stuff, man. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it was like just that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. you know, plus the physical toll it took on me. By the time I quit drinking and and using drugs, I, I had I was really in bad shape. And uh, how did it? What kind of physical toll did it take? Well, Patrick I was Madness. just like basically, I just felt like hell all the time, you know. Yeah. And looked like ham hammered doo doo, you know. So. <laughs> And, you know, I gained about 50 pounds and I was, you know, I just was not, you know, you're, it's like, you know, alcohol grinds slow, but it grinds fine. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I was just messed up and like very, just a sick person. I've got pictures of myself and that, and it's like really scary. You look at it and go, I mean, right now, if I, if it was anybody else, I, looking at those pictures, what I would say is, that's a sick person. You know, that person wow. is quite ill. Mm-hmm. You know. And so what, what was your bottom? What, what, what? Uh, it was a bunch of things. My wife and I split up for a short period of time. And I just want to say 50 years? You yeah. 50, 50, 50 years. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's, you know, that's, uh, I'm so blessed, you know. And, uh, was it because of the drugs and alcohol? Well, of course, that's, yeah. I mean, of course, it, I mean, that played a role in it. It was like, you know, everything's wrong, you know, and my wife, she's sober too. Like both of us are sober 33 years and change. And Oh, and you both got sober at the same yeah, time? Yeah, she was sober a little before me, uh-huh. a couple months. And, and um, cause I went on the road, you know, at, at that time and I knew I wasn't going to sober up on the road. Hmm. And, um, but yeah, that was, uh, that's the way that happened. I mean, but prior to that, it was, you know, we, what causes the split up is like everything's wrong, you know, and it, you know, like the the natural inclination of an alcoholic is to like to round up the usual suspects and blame and, everybody else, right? <laughs> Let's see who's who's messing up this thing, you know, <laughs> like you for sure, you know. You yeah. know, like it's all, it's everybody else, you know, I, you know, like, like I said, round up the usual suspects. It ain't me, mm-hmm. you know, like the last, you know, and it turned out, yeah, it's, it's you. Let's start, you know, let's, let's start with you and then we'll work on them. You know, did your wife, was your wife, your Eskimo, was she the one that got you to get sober? I'd say to a large degree mm-hmm. because she got sober first and I mm-hmm. saw that she was doing it and, uh, that gave me, I mean, I wanted to, but like that gave me the extra push. Mm-hmm. You know, that want to is like, you know, until you do it, when you're in the grip of a progressive illness, you can't imagine life with or without 
whatever, you know, with, with or without alcohol and, and drugs and, you know, until you break out of that. And uh, so she was my Eskimo in that sense. I mean, in the sense that I, you know, she had, let's face it, she had the sack, you know, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, okay. I get it. So, so... So there, was there was there like a day when you said well there was a day that you said yeah this yeah is there was last yeah what, what 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 did that just because it was that day you it know. was just that day no yeah. no big thing well you know you let everything leads up to it there's there were pl there's plenty of big things when you're like crashing through life like mm -hmm. crashing to you know to 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 a bottom and then finding a trap door and another bottom and you know and. It's like the Russian dolls. There's I think it was, yeah, I think it was like mostly, I mean, I was, I gave up on me as the answer to my problems. And, uh, you know, that, when that happened, that's when it happened. Mm -hmm. And so did you notice a change in your playing? Yeah. I, you know, I started, I remember that first time I played after I'd been sober was about 40 days in. Mm -hmm. I was really afraid. Because I hadn't played sober, completely sober, in a long time, mm -hmm. and within the first two or three minutes, I, I went, yeah, this is what it used to be like, mm -hmm. you know, when I was when I was young and I when I was first starting out, and just this was really what it was all about, and there was nothing else in the way, mm -hmm. you know, and it's coming through you, and it doesn't have to filter through something else, and and. Um, you know, like you just go, you know, like I was, of course, this is it, you know, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. How know? about vocally? I imagine vocally it well, must have changed better, a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, God, you know, and, hey, you know, like if you're, when I, I was up for a lot of a good portion of the 70s and the 80s, I mean, you need sleep if you want to sing. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if, you, <laughs> if you're up for a long time, yeah, you know, years, it, you know, I was pretty tired when I got sober. <laughs> what gig were you on? Uh, I was, I, uh, I can't remember. I was playing at a club. It wasn't a big mm -hmm. gig. And playing with some guys in, in Studio City at a joint, you know. With, mm -hmm. And uh, it was like, and which was exactly what I should have been doing right then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, because there was no like extra pressure of any kind. It was just like, okay, you're going to play a gig. Was it, happens. was it ever hard for you after you got sober and you'd go out with like no it wasn't by that time when I started to go on the road which was not that long afterward mm -hmm. I, I was fully committed to that to the new life and, and uh, so it wasn't hard I was probably a bit of a bore no know. fall back you didn't fall back at all no I didn't mm -hmm. I never I never relapsed so far and, you thirty. Know, and I, when I asked you last night, you told me you were thirty-three years, two months, and one day. And I love that you've got that down. Now it's two days. Well, it's actually 30, 30, 33 years, one month, and oh. twenty-six days. Oh, okay. I got it all wrong. I got the numbers <laughs> wrong. I, I know my day counts something oh. like six hundred, six thousand three hundred ninety-six today. Yeah. Well, this is the one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the way it is. Always. It's so you know people think it's a kind of kind of a snooze, you know, but. Life, that's the way life comes at you, you know, like it's only today, you know, I, mean, I got, like I said, you got nothing coming. This is it, you know, and uh, so, do, you know, whatever matters better get done right now. 
I, I, for me, the whole idea of the snooze, I, I thought life was going to get really boring. I thought creativity was going to suck. Like, as, okay, so how about as a songwriter? I don't write that much, but the creativity, that's an old idea mm-hmm. among people that are, you know, especially, I mean, people that are, that are in any kind of creative pursuit, like whether, whatever it might be as a, as a comedian or you're an actor or an, a painter or a musician, mm-hmm. a, you know, or anything, a writer, you're, you know, like the idea of, I mean, that's left over from, you know, other times and eras. In, in in art history where well yeah you know like that's the kind of romancing the whole notion of being you know slightly messed up you know like so many people in our in our art history musicians and writers and so mm-hmm. on have been well known you know uh, abusers yeah mm-hmm. and so you know the idea that's the notion that that uh, you're not, you know, that that it's coming from there. No, you're you're not your creativity. You're what you know. You're not able to do that because of alcohol. You're doing it in spite of alcohol. Right. You know. I'm at, now look. Oh, remove the yoke. You know. Take the take all the crap out of the way and look what what can happen. You know. But that's not something you know. And people that don't have. Uh, any kind of substance abuse problem don't understand that and why should they mm-hmm. I mean like to to a degree talking and there's a world of ignorance surrounding uh, chemical dependency slash alcoholism whatever however you want to describe it and mm-hmm. that's a, and, and of course there is because unless it comes to your house mm-hmm. and your your mother or your father or your 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 wife your husband your child then you will never have a need to understand it. I don't know if there's anybody on the planet these days that doesn't have somebody close that's affected by drugs or alcohol. I mean, is it, is it possible to be in a, I mean, I guess. Well, yeah, it is. There's plenty of people, but, and there, but there's a lot of people who think that they don't. Right. And then one day, they you know, are. hey, who stole my watch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so before we get to the music, which uh, we, we will get to big time, I, I wanted to, I know that you're, I was looking at your Facebook page, anybody who is on Facebook and Mike is your friend, you know that you're very outspoken, uh, as am I, about your feelings about what's going on in the world today. Where, where did your, uh, so you were around the Vietnam War and all of that, were you an activist back in the day? Yeah, I mean, I, my, my parents were, um, in fact, my whole family were were politically. Um, I, they were involved in politics. My mom, my mother worked for the county where I grew up in Troy, Ohio. That was the county seat. She was she had been like the head of the child welfare agency in the county, and then she worked uh, later on. She worked as clerk of the courts. Oh wow! And. Um, but beyond that, so mm-hmm. like she was involved in government, mm-hmm. and be but before even beyond that, like everyone in my family was politically aware. Uh, all the uh, the adults, um, I mean, that was like the kind of thing that I grew up where if you didn't know who the mayor was, if you didn't know who your state representative was, if you didn't know who mm-hmm. your your senators and you know you didn't know who these people were, then you weren't in the conversation, you know. I, I mean, love that. I mean, at some points, not all the time, but mm-hmm. when you're eating dinner with, 
you know, your family and other members of the extended family mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving or any or just in a normal day, and mm-hmm. like that, those these things come up. And and if you, you know, if if you don't know what they're talking about, then you better find out. You know, like you can ask somebody or just listen and and find out. My they were my father was in unions and mm-hmm. and um, what'd your father do? Well, he was he worked in a in a factory, mm-hmm. but it's um, so you know union all that stuff is like you know your political consciousness is, is I mean it was never not there to some degree you know of course it wasn't a big deal for a while until you get as you get older and then you start to think and realize like all this stuff matters mm-hmm. you know it, it affects everybody whether they want it to or not you know if you don't have a position then that's a political position mm-hmm. you know like Neutrality is a is 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 a place of privilege, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you know, you if you're neutral, then that's a privileged position. You don't see uh, political differences as uh, matters of life and death. You see them as you know just little differences between people. Mm-hmm. How, so you, know, this, you know what I mean? Like, I do. Um, in the sixties, how's this gonna does this what does my see in some people that your position on this issue actually affects your access to justice it well, actually affects my... your access to a job it affects your access to all kinds of things it's not something you can like pick or choose like you know i what, what color socks am i going to wear like you know people who say they don't have an opinion are people who are privileged people mm-hmm. And I mean, you were saying how if you were in a mixed band, you guys couldn't play in places. I right. Mean, I mean, that'll wake you up. Not that I didn't know that. I grew mm-hmm. up in, in in Troy, where I grew up. I lived like the back of my house backed up to the railroad tracks, and mm-hmm. across, I mean, it was a segregated town mm-hmm. in the in real estate. Mm-hmm. There were like three areas where black people could live, you know, and um, that was one of them. On one side of the tracks was where I lived. That was like where that portion of the white neighborhood in that part of town ended, mm-hmm. and the black portion of, the, of that of that part of town began. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I I was around a lot of black people all the time growing up because I was right there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're neighbors, and there was a black recreation center about a hundred yards away, and that's where I played a lot of basketball, and they had the best jukebox in town. Anyway. I was going to say, if you're playing sports and you're playing music, then your life is segregated. That's just kind of the way it is, right? I mean, Well, you know, like, it, your life is not segregated if you don't want it to be, but... You know, I, mean, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's integrated. integrated. I mean, yeah, integrated. yeah, it's yeah. integrated. And, yeah. you know, to a, a large degree, I mm-hmm. mean, and so, you know, politics, like I said, is like... You know, politics. Well, Aristotle said life is politics, mm-hmm. and and art. You know, art's a political activity, whether you want it to be or not. You know, there's labor and commerce. That's part of the political sphere. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, and everything. You know, like what you do and how you, what you can do with that. Whether you're being an activist or whether you're speaking out or whatever you're doing, like you are. There's politics involved in all art. That's what I believe. I could be wrong, but as I said, it's labor and commerce, so that's politics. You know, and beyond that, however, if you choose to, like, if you look at, I mean, 
if you look at any great any of the great artists they were their politics affected what they did mm -hmm. whether it was because they were being held back or put or or there were obstacles that were thrown up in front of them based on race or social strata or whatever that that was part of it you know and um, you know like it's it's there like I'm with Aristotle you know or Machiavelli mm -hmm. who said the opposite he did he said life isn't politics life is like uh, based on fortune you know based on what may or may not happen but those are two sides of the same coin you know he believed that if you that you know like Aristotle said life is politics because the good life is the goal mm -hmm. and the good life it comes about as a result of whatever your politics may be with regard to a society mm -hmm. and how a society is built up and how it grows and what it stands for what it provides is it providing the good life or is it keeping some people in slavery or uh, you know indentured servitude or you know beyond any uh, ability to improve their lot or is it a society which is the part you know building the good life for what you know the common good you know mm -hmm. what a what a quaint notion <laughs> it's a nice quaint notion where where were you on uh, september 11th mike i was in denver yeah i was playing with crosby stills and nash and we had a gig that night mm -hmm. and i had a good friend that lived in denver and he called me and uh in my hotel and said turn on the television at, at, it must have been really early in the morning. Yeah, it for was. You. Too yeah. damn early. Yeah, too damn I early. I said, whatever this is, it better be good or, you know, it better mm -hmm. be bad. It was. Mm -hmm. And um, did so you that's play your gig that night? No. Mm -hmm. They canceled um, about 10 days of, of shows. Like, not 10 days, but like four or five shows that are, would have been, I mean, they scheduled for that period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which was the right thing, I think, naturally. I mean, most people, you know, it was a hell of a deal, so. But, you know, we left, uh, we were doing, I had tour buses and, and uh, we drove back to LA. Like we stopped in somewhere in Utah. We left like at three in the afternoon and drove into Utah and stayed at, uh, in some little place. And we had a couple of people like, um, her name um, oh man I can't think about but she, you know um, that's another singer like a really good woman singer um, who sings um, she's kind of um, I think she's a, a lesbian and she's like, Janice no no really that's good really, really I mean man. she's a really I take that back. she's sorry. a really great singer okay yeah <laughs> but Damn, I mean, she's famous too, but she needed a ride because mm -hmm. all the airports were closed and mm -hmm. she rode with us. And also Eric Dickerson, who was then part of the Monday night football people, mm -hmm. like um, wanted to ride back to LA. He, had, you know, he used to play for the Rams. And so he rode back with us. We had like two, all three of those guys, see Crosby, Stills and Nash had buses and then it was a band bus. So, mm -hmm. you know, like we had these extra people. It was really funny though because, um, uh, oh man, I wish I could think of her name. It's so stupid because she's well known. She's really good too. 
I'm going to start naming lesbians. I can't start naming lesbians. That's just not fair. I'm not going to do uh, that. I'm not going to do no, that. No, I mean, she's like a, a really great singer. Okay. You know, and uh -huh. um, she's got kind of a boyish kind of haircut. And Katie Lang. Katie Lang, of Oh, course. there you go. My favorite Katie lesbian. Lang. But when we checked into the hotel, like, I wrote, I wrote tour manager, gave us a room lesson. We were only there until the... Like the next morning at ten or something, we left and drove back down, rode all the way back to LA from there in Utah. Mm -hmm. But the desk clerk, I came down to get some change for a vending machine. And he goes, "Man, you guys got a funny rooming list, like Katie Lang, David Crosby, <laughs> Eric Dickerson. Come on, man." <laughs> you thought you were full of shit. Yeah, who yeah. are you kidding? <laughs> um, Pete, where were you? Uh, I was in Burbank. My father woke me up. And uh, from Cleveland, mm -hmm. and I uh, ran over to my friend Leslie's apartment and went in there and just sat there for hours, shot. And then that night, walked around Burbank, and it was just so still. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there were people lined up down Alameda and Olive. Just I think a lot of people had candles that night, mm -hmm. and uh, it was so surreal. Yeah. So my my two minute version of my story: my my husband was uh, nominated for an Emmy Award. He worked for Right, wrote for David Letterman, and we were on our way to the airport to get on an American Airlines 727. And um, we were we were on 125th Street in, in Manhattan, driving across to go to the airport, and um, the cab driver had the news on, and he uh, this woman started screaming, they're coming down, they're coming down, and we literally looked south and we could see the billowy smoke, and we were way far uptown, but you could see mm -hmm. uh, what was going on. It, it, New York that day was this, it was like the end of the world. It, it literally felt like it was the end of the world. We ran to get our kids. I mean, it was just absolutely um, yeah. horrific. So um, just acknowledging that today is a day that um, a lot of people a lot of people perished, and um, yeah, never forget. Uh, and I, I don't want to get into this maudlin thing, but I. But the reason why it feels so important this year is because I feel like we're in the middle of a catastrophe, and um, that oh, we can't yeah. seem to get out of. Well, you know, the founders. Um, you know, the, the 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 most glaring weakness of democracy is it depends on the sanity of the electorate. <laughs> Isn't it scary that that's funny to us today? Well, I mean, that's that the bottom line is, you know, like they never thought that those guys never at any time really thought that that kind of that the kind of uh, complete corruption and dishonesty and incompetence and ignorance could ever manifest itself at the highest office of the land. Mm -hmm. But they were wrong. They were wrong. And it, it just seems that he's made of Teflon. It, like nothing can take it. He, he has done Well, no, it, it does. I think he's suffered, you know, like lots of people have like, not suffered, but I think he's like lost a lot of people. There, the people that support Donald Trump today are unreachable. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they are unable to, to accept certain a, a lot of verifiable truths about him and by extension about themselves. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
All right, yeah. so so like good luck in you know if you're one of those people, good luck in your ongoing battle against observable reality. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so we've talked politics, we've talked addiction. Let's talk music because that's why we're here. So. It's all connected, baby. It, well, it is, right? <laughs> Everything in life is. Right. So, so... I get people that say, you shouldn't say these things because you're a musician. What does that mean? Well, it means, you know, like you you're some kind of second-class citizen. You know, like, and I go, you know, like, and what do you do? Do I come on your gig and knock the spatula <laughs> out of your hand? You know. <laughs> do, you, do you believe in, uh, do you believe in self-will? Do you believe in destiny? Do you, do you... Do you think that you had a path and you followed? I do, I do. I think I did. But I think that that I was extremely blessed and fortunate to have been able to follow it. Um, and, you know, it had, a lot of it had to do with, as I mentioned earlier, a, a certain kind of, Insanity. Pete was talking about um, uh, his son, I think, and said that he was willing to, he was, he's 22 and he mm -hmm. was not afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're 22. Mm -hmm. Because that's when, you know, whatever your bliss is, whatever your, whatever you really, if you're lucky enough to think there's something you want there's some path that you want to follow, then that's when you will do it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember when I dropped out of school and I gave up a four-year scholarship. Okay, so let's talk about that. My so father said to me, like, my mother was, like, almost sick, almost had to be hospitalized. And, but my father, like, after a couple of days, he said, if that's what you think you want to do, then you better get after it because in another couple of years, you won't have the balls to do it. Oh, wow. That's, so he was encouraging you. He didn't encourage me. He just got, said, I'm not, you know, I'm getting out of the way. Like, okay. you know, in other words, he didn't say, you know, he just acknowledged that, you know, okay, he's like got a certain mental illness going on here. He thinks this is what he wants. So <laughs> a like, certain mental how, illness. How can we, how do, how do you stop that? You know, this is what, he's going to throw all that other stuff aside and do that. Okay, so wait, so how did this, so you, so you're in college, you have a basketball scholarship, you've already started to play. The I was band. playing with some guys, yeah. And and so what, do you, what kind of, what are you doing? I was, play, I was playing with this band called The Surfs, and we made mm -hmm. an album later. Mm -hmm. And um, we played rhythm and blues music mostly, and all kinds of you know, pop music, playing in nightclubs. You're playing, you know, six nights a week, or sometimes seven, depending if we were in Boston, or some other places where you work seven nights. and. Um, this is after you've already left school when this right. is happening. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, like after I left school. But how do you make that school, decision? You just, it's just, I don't know, it just happens. Did a gig, know? for did me, a gig, it just happened. Did a gig happen that you wanted to see? <laughs> well, yeah, like I went to, um, we had, after the uh, my freshman year, we had a, a gig with that band down in Wichita at this club. Mm -hmm. And so we went down there and we played for two weeks. It was a brand new joint. And the guy didn't have the money to be in the nightclub business. And after two weeks, he closed the joint. So we were, we had this little apartment we were living in, except for a couple other guys uh, that lived in Wichita that had just joined the band. And um, 
And uh, so everybody kind of peeled away gradually as we didn't work for about three weeks mm-hmm. until, and then I, we got a gig and, um, you know, and then I just worked, from then on I worked continuously for, uh, I mean, all the time. I worked all the time for the next, uh, you know, 50 years. Okay, so, so now, so what's the first, what's, I mean, I mean, wait, we wait got, you know, we just got a, we got a, we got a, we bought a car finally, and then oh. we had a trailer made of this Wichita's horse country, you know, a trailer company made us a trailer for our gear. Mm-hmm. And I, when we started traveling, first we just played around it, we just played and joined some Wichita. And mm-hmm. then, then we started traveling to Kansas City and Oklahoma City, and then we started then we got gigs in Chicago and St. Louis and Omaha and, and we were traveling there and then pretty soon we started working further east in Buffalo and Cleveland and so forth and then New York City and mm-hmm. I, you started to ask about Hendrix like we got like uh, we were playing in New York at this club called the Cheetah mm-hmm. and uh, this guy named Tom Wilson who would, who was like one of the he was a the, a black guy from Harvard that had been in the business for a while and had gotten into, had risen, you know, to like a, a high executive position, I think at Columbia, mm-hmm. and uh, higher than any black person ever had, you know, and and uh, he was also producing other artists. He produced Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. and he produced Miles Davis, and and so he, anyway, he heard us playing in, at the Cheetah and then said he'd like to make a deal with us, and we're like, what's a deal what's that you know <laughs> so you know we, we got a record deal a little jive ass deal with capital records and and you know he kept most of the money and we got a little taste and and we w- went to new york to make the album and that's how i met Jimi hendrix because we were we were recording at the record plant and mm-hmm. he was uh, during the day mm-hmm. and Jimi hendrix was recording there at night and we were only there for about nine or ten days i mm-hmm. think at the most we cut the whole album like, you know, and I got to watch him and he heard us playing and, and asked me and a couple of the guys in the band in the surfs to stay after we got done and play with him. And um, Okay, uh, did you know at the time? Well, he had he had already released a couple albums. This he was, was his like, third album. Yeah, he was like monster, you know. Electric like, Ladyland, Still Rainy, Still Dreaming, Rainy Days, uh, Mike plays on. So... How, how, old, how surreal is that, that you are? Well, it was, it's like I said, it's like one of those deals, like, just kind of happened, and it wasn't, I did a show for BBC years ago called mm-hmm. uh, The Making of Electric Ladyland. They did a series of shows, The Making of Music from Big Pink, mm-hmm. and a couple other albums, and it was a cool show, but you know they talked to me about that of course and I, I said it wasn't like he said get Finnegan you know like <laughs> you know like yeah. I was I was there and he thought I played good enough to play with him I guess but and I plus I was playing organ bass and left hand and foot pedals and the bass player and his band wasn't there um, and he liked the idea of doing something with a it was like an organ trio-ish kind of thing, mm-hmm. like the Jimmy Smith and the organ guys that that played that had trios it was usually guitar, organ, and drums. No bass player. The organ player played played bass, and that kind of thing 
But Jimi Hendrix is kind of nutty in a way because everybody thinks of him with the wall of marshals and, mm -hmm. you know, but in the studio he just used a Fender Showman. And, you know, what kind of gear did he have? It must have been really amazing. It was, yeah, it was a Fender Showman, man, like you got, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. you know, so, but, so it's not the equipment, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, so that it was just something that happened and we, we, it was a jam that he cut into two tunes and wrote lyrics to and. He wrote the lyrics afterwards. Is yeah, that, it was uh -huh. just something, we were just, we just kind of put it together on the spot and, and, um, was and, that intimidating? No. No. I mean, not really. I mean, I probably, I don't remember exactly how I felt, but mm -hmm. my, re my recollection is, is that, you know, of course I, you know, being like totally starstruck in a way, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, he was killing everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was just killing it and a total innovator and a different, whole different thing that he was doing. And, and, uh, so that, you know, is like a little daunting, but when, when you're in the studio and you're just playing music and it's, you know, there's no, it's time to do it, you know, mm -hmm. it's not time to like, oh, Keen, reflect on it, yeah, do? <laughs> you know, you're so great, I can't, you know, no, man, you know, yeah. man up and get, take care of business, you know, so, you know, like if, if you're good, if he wants you to be there, then you must be the guy, you know, so that's the way it works. You know? When did you realize that you, were had played on something that was going to be iconic for well I, and when it came out because mm -hmm. we didn't know like mm -hmm. we don't you know we didn't there was no we had no assurance that any of that was going to wind up on an album and you know and we even got credited although we didn't get paid what now what's that about i know oh. that's that's what i was thinking what kind of shit is that <laughs> why didn't you get paid well you know Probably because we didn't, you know, like nowadays I'd be going, where's the paperwork? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh -huh. but at the time, shit, we probably should have gotten some publishing on the damn song for mm -hmm. that matter. Because, mm -hmm. You, you know, wrote it on the spot. Because mm -hmm. we all contributed and, mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm not going to complain about it. You know, it's like, where's my bread? <laughs> you know, like I, when I did that BBC show, I looked at the camera and said, so if you're out there, you know, and you're part of the you know that company then you know i'd like a check <laughs> <laughs> so so after you play so you you've got this dress, you play with jimmy first of all let's just backtrack a little bit you played a little piano when you're a kid you start playing drums how, how do you become this keyboardist because well, you just start playing man you just play you, know, you're you not just start studying, playing you're just playing well you're studying because mm -hmm. you're playing okay and like i i'm listening i'm going to clubs i'm like you know, and I, I've heard, I mean, it's like I told this guy, somebody not long ago that was a young person that wants to uh, sing, the, you know, this music. Mm -hmm. And I said, have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard this guy? Have you ever heard this woman? Have you ever heard, you know, no, no, no. Well, you got to listen. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want, if you want to speak this language, you got to learn the vocabulary. If you want to learn the vocabulary, you got to listen. Do you read music? You know, no. Well, I mean, I can barely read, but... So you were doing this all by ear? Yeah, mm -hmm. and then and playing with people that, you know, like watching and listening mm -hmm. and then and playing with people that are better than you, who mm -hmm. teach you things, mm -hmm. like how to write a chord chart, like you don't know what you're playing, like what is, you know, like that's a G minor ninth, okay? You, you, you earballed that, you don't know what, that's what we call that, mm -hmm. you know, like, 
you know, that's, you know, and so, you know, all that kind of stuff gradually as you play. And if you're playing every night for four or five hours then, or longer, then you you get better or else, you know, like, you know, I mean, and you get, you become, you know, most of the most popular American music is based on conception rather than um, any kind of, you know, skill that you can learn. I mean, you can, you learn a lot. I'm not denigrating, you know, like, you know, serious, like study of music in school or anything. Mm -hmm. Of course not, not at all. I'm not saying that. I'm mm -hmm. just saying jazz music or rhythm and blues music or country music or rock and roll music is like based on concept, based on craft is, con craft is content and content is concept. You know, like, how's this supposed to sound? Do we know how that music is supposed to sound? Mm -hmm. You know, and if we don't, then we can't play it. You know, I mean, when I say how it's supposed to sound, it doesn't mean that you're, there's no room for innovation. Yeah, like Jimi Hendrix, if you listen to Voodoo Child, that's mm -hmm. the blues. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, most of what he plays is the blues. Mm -hmm. But the sound of it and the way he played it, his the way it came out of him mm -hmm. was different, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, you know, like the licks, a lot of the licks are, you know, the, a lot of his basic stuff, but he had played in a lot of bands before that. Mm -hmm. His, what he became, you know, grew out of all of the hours that he spent playing in upholstered sewers with bad bands mm -hmm. or good bands, whether it was like, I think he played with the Isley Brothers. Maybe I could I could oh, be really? wrong. Mm -hmm. And and Little Richard, I think, for, mm -hmm. and different, but other other groups, and you know, and he wasn't playing like that. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. he was playing some other way. But he was learning. He knew he was learning how whatever he was doing was supposed to sound. And out of that comes whatever he developed as his 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 style mm -hmm. developed. You know. Um, Imitation is the the kind of the the father of innovation. Interesting. You know, in other words, if you you know when you if you like somebody listens to uh, somebody like they listen to um, uh, let me just think about who I want to use as an example like you know, you listen to. Um, somebody that you like their singing you know like a young person and they go I, I really like um, John I, Mayer I, I, I like when I like John Mayer mm -hmm. okay like if and I, so you you like that person tries to sing like John Mayer mm -hmm. he's it's not gonna sound like John Mayer mm -hmm. this guy thinks it does but it doesn't mm -hmm. you know and but that's okay mm -hmm. you know but eventually uh, that got him going so now he's trying to sing he soon he forgets about that and he actually is just singing and you know as things progress and then he pretty soon he starts singing like him and uh, he doesn't even know it you who, know. who were you singing like when you started singing uh, Ray Charles was uh, like who got me more than anybody but I heard a lot of singers that I liked mm -hmm. lots and lots and lots of singers Mahalia Jackson for instance or you know uh, in, in gospel but she you listen to her singing and, and like she's singing you can hear Aretha Franklin later on when you hear Aretha Franklin, you hear Mahalia Jackson to a certain extent, not a, not a, not like a copy, 
but a conceptual mm-hmm. similarity. Like this is coming. It's like a a, a, a a logical progression of this came from this. Or if you listen to like you you know anybody, then they were influenced by these people mm-hmm. and. You know. Cher sounds completely different than she used to sound when she was with Sonny. It's a, her voices and what she does with her mouth is a completely different thing than what you played with Cher. Right, I did an too. album with her, yeah. Okay, what was that like? It was weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I can't even imagine you playing with her. Well, it was just it just kind of happened by accident. Mm-hmm. It was like a friend of mine was producing an album for her. She wanted to do a rock and roll record like this I'm gonna get down you know like you know <laughs> enough of it down. enough of this TV shit you know like we're not doing I mean it's, she's so talented you mm-hmm. look at uh, like how, how well she did with the, their their show like mm-hmm. it was a variety show and she was really good she at, was great she was, she was a good comedian mm-hmm. she was a uh, you know she was a good actress she could sing a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, she looked pretty good and um, you know like so she had a lot going on but then like now okay I'm, enough of that I'm going to get serious about being a singer and like do a rock band deal with like you know and it was just something that me and a couple other guys got Wes Dudek mm-hmm. and she he and Cher had a little thing there for a minute and uh, um, like and then she traded up to Greg Allman <laughs> but Anyway, uh, that was like just something that happened. It wasn't, you know, I just got got called to do something, you know, and, you know, that's how it happened. Like, so I got I, called to do a lot of stuff, man. I, yeah, so I want to talk about something. Like, how, how'd you end up playing with Joe Cocker? How'd that happen? Um, actually, I got, I knew, <coughs> the way it happened was this, this guy named Ethan Johns, mm-hmm. who's a, a real talented musician and, um, he produces his father is Glenn Johns mm-hmm. who is a great producer who pr- has produced it every all kinds of artists mm-hmm. his uncle was Andy Johns who produced and record as an engineer both Glenn and Andy they're British um, produced and engineered a, a shit pop full of records mm-hmm. and you know Andy's passed away um, Unfortunately, he died way too young from you know what. And mm-hmm. uh, but Glenn is still alive, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he was like an innovative. Uh, both of them were great, but mm-hmm. Glenn was like serious. He was he didn't he never got off. He was never like a burn cadet and didn't get off the path like mm-hmm. get dragged down into that shit. But mm-hmm. but Ethan is is Glenn's son, and um, I knew him because he worked with CSN for one tour and then I didn't see him for years and then he got a job producing Joe Cocker and he called me out of nowhere and said I'm going to do this album I'd like you to play on it and after I did the album then Joe asked me if I wanted to join the band and I said yeah so so what was that what was that like well it was super you know he was really a cool guy and a fantastic singer and a really wonderful man I really loved Joe man he was a there's a lot going on there more you know, he's a really smart guy and really a funny guy, um, and just really and a great guy to work with. I mean, he was um, he brought it, man. Man, could he sing the He brought shit it. Out he brought it. Song. He brought it every night. You mm-hmm. know, like when you go on the road to somebody, you find out 
you know, he never he brought it and left it there every night. Mm. You know. How did how did you get Crosby, Stills, and Nash? How did that relationship start? Actually, um, I was playing with Maria Maldar, mm-hmm. and uh, I met. Uh, I, we, I played at the uh, Summerfest in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. which is a big festival that's been going on for years. This was in the seventies, and and um, I met uh, Maria knew Stephen, I think. Or maybe it was Amos Garrett, who's a guitar player that played with her then. Mm-hmm. Really great guitar player. But I think one one of them introduced me to Stephen, who was also going to play. And um, I think he was just playing in it. Like, I don't remember if he had a band or if he was just doing like a folk thing, like a single, like a solo slot or something. But mm-hmm. I met him and um, then I didn't hear from him. I never saw him for a couple of years, or, and then he called me one time at about 10.30 at night uh, and said, uh, I'm going to record at the record plant, this is in L.A., mm-hmm. not the New York record plant, and, and said, uh, and I said, he goes, would you like to come and, and work with me? And I said, sure, when is it? And he goes, right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, it's a little late, but, you know. If you got any like urge paste, maybe I can come, you know. But anyway, that's it. I I recorded with him, and then I started working with him. He put a, he had a solo put a solo band together, and then from that I wound, wound up working with CSM. I uh, so I just was uh, Marcus Eaton was playing with Jeff Young recently, and he was uh, he did the documentary on, on David Crosby that I haven't seen yet. Have you seen the documentary? No, but I hear it's pretty good. I heard that too. Are you ta- do you still talk to David? Yeah, but I, I haven't seen him in person, but we exchanged uh, some emails just a month or so ago. Because from what I've heard, a lot of people don't talk to him anymore. <laughs> right? Um, that's what I heard too. Yeah, so I don't know if that's true. But I know I think that, it's true. It's true. So last night he played at, uh, where did he play? But I, uh, I... David Crosby? Yeah, he played last night in L.A. somewhere, and I know Jeff Pebar was playing with him. I've known Jeff for yeah. years. Yeah, well, I just played with Jeff about three weeks ago. Did you? In Connecticut, yeah. With what, what was that? Uh, what was like at a, uh, it was like on the, um, it was in July. Mm-hmm. Well, it was longer. I guess it was a month ago, maybe mm-hmm. six weeks, but uh, it was like a, a show at in uh, outdoors in Willamette, Connecticut, and we played with this guy named David Foster. Uh, not that not David that, yeah. but this guy's a a guy who's had a a band for years, like mm-hmm. a big big R and B kind of band, like fourteen pieces, and and both Jeff played with him a lot, and I played with him a lot over mm-hmm. the years, and and I produced an album for him. His album's under the name D A Foster to avoid the you know, which just came out a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. he's a real good blues singer and um, uh, really a great guy. So that's what Jeff and I were both playing on that. Sweet. I, I love the fact that you're one of the rare sidemen when you play with other people that get showcased as a vocalist, which blows my mind. That you, like, 
you're so respected and so appreciated for what you do and you have such a unique voice you don't sound like anybody else not to me but um i was watching um something you did with stephen stills and like you're front and center and you're playing with bonnie Raitt and you're front and center and that doesn't happen very often but well, it happens to you a lot well, it happens but well, it only happens if the person like not every i mean they're extremely generous mm -hmm. in that way and they like what I'm doing, so they, they want, it's not just, well, I better do this for him so he doesn't get pissed off, but but I never expect anything like that, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, if I'm working for you, I'm going to do what you want, you know, so, um, that's cool, you know, what, not to say that if I'm working with somebody that doesn't right. do that, that means that they're not generous, Right. it means that's the kind of show they're doing, and that's mm -hmm. the way it is, you know, like, I never sang with Joe, because, you know, Joe doesn't play the guitar. Right. You know, like Joe's a singer. Yeah, now. right. And, like, he's, and you know, and I just, I played with Taj Mahal for years mm -hmm. off and on, like, and just did a gig with him last Saturday night. Oh, wow. At, at this blues festival in San Diego. And mm -hmm. Taj doesn't, he doesn't give me slots to sing. Taj mm -hmm. is going to do the singing tonight, mm -hmm. you know. And that's cool, you know. Um, one time when we played in Wichita, and I lived there for six or seven years. So, you know, when I went, when we played there with Taj, mm -hmm. Taj went, you're gonna have to sing one tonight. <laughs> Cause half the motherfuckers out here want to hear you. So that... <laughs> nice. Snuffy's watching. Nice, hi Snuffy. Um, so, and you've, you've known Snuffy since the 60s, something? No, no, the 70s. 70s, Stray Dog, you were playing with Dave. What was it like playing with Dave Mason? Well, it was great. You know, Dave was huge then. Man, he was, yeah. we played, I, like, I made about three or four albums with Dave, and mm -hmm. he had a, he was like working in big places, man. Hell, he co-headlined with Elton John and at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. You know, like uh, he was working, yeah, he was wow. working big mm -hmm. shows. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd he'd be rich if he hadn't been married four or five. <laughs> uh, you know, that's that'll take that'll put a dent in your bank account. But I guess yeah, so. he made a lot. I mean, Dave was a huge, great songwriter. You know, he's still out there playing all the time. Hi, Alvino. I, I yeah, I love Alvino too. Alvino, I played with Alvino a lot. Man. I, you played with everybody a lot. So, so what are some of what are some of the you've you've Played with everybody and, and uh, such iconic music. What what's some of your some of the things that were your favorites to do? Well, you know, like I'm, you know, like I'm, I, I'm, I, I did a record with, or I did a, a couple of rec uh, tracks with the Manhattan Transfer mm -hmm. one time, and Tim Hauser has passed away. Um, uh, lived across the street from me. And that's how we got to know each other. And <clears throat> so, <clears throat> not really. I'd met him before in New York um, at a bar called JP's. It was like a mm -hmm. popular watering hole for musicians. And, and um, but, you know, I got to, you know, that's, I'm only mentioning that because it's kind of like different, you know, like mm -hmm. it was a jazz date. And so I, and I could play a little bit. I can play that a little bit. I'm not a great jazz musician, but I can get by in some settings. So that was fun. I mean, that kind of thing. I remember playing with Johnny Cash. Um, wow. Like I've just mentioned that to somebody because I'd forgotten about it. It was like for a Peter Bogdanovich film. That I don't even know what film it was, but he had hired Johnny Cash to, to do a, 
a couple of tunes mm -hmm. um, on that this for this film, and I happened to be in the band, and um, uh, but he came, he was all well prepared and really did great. And the most memorable thing about that was uh, Peter Bogdanovich was in the booth, mm -hmm. and he was kind of acting as the producer. Mm -hmm. Like, well, he produces films, mm -hmm. you know. So oh, I he can, was acting like the producer of the movie. Yeah, and I can, of the music I can, yeah, and I can mm -hmm. prove he didn't belong there, and they're doing that because <laughs> after the first tune we did, after the first take, uh -huh. he said to Johnny Cash, um, Johnny, he gets on the talk back, Johnny, um, what do you think? Should this song be a little higher? You know, a little higher in range. Yeah, and like the guys in the band are like. He's talking to Johnny Cash. Like, <laughs> and then Johnny Cash goes, uh, we could try. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh my God. Go, no, man. You know, like, we did, we ran through like a little bit of it, and he goes, never mind. Gets on, like, you know, but that was like that. You know, there's been a lot of stuff like that, some great, great moments in sports, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, how I've been, you know, there's so many people that I've played with that I admire and, and, um, when people I, I don't know, you know, ask me, you know, if you're at a party or something and, mm -hmm. and what do you do, Mike? You know, like <laughs> get dates for your mom, you know, like, you, know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, like, what do I do? You know, like, how do you I'm a brain surgeon. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, you know, like just, and you know, people always ask that it's like, we're, which is okay, you know, but. Um, it's like when if I tell them I'm a musician, they go, "What kind of music do you play?" And it's a, you know, how humble I, are I play, you? I, say, I say I play good music, and uh, <laughs> and like, no, really, man, what kind of you know? Like it's like I play popular American music, you know. And well, what are you doing? What have you you know? Would I know you? It's like no, <laughs> you know. Like, no, I, I mean, like, you, you know, you you'll can't... You'll never get to the point where you'll drop a well, name? No, Come no, I, I don't. I really? Mean, once uh -huh. in a while, I mean, if people press it, like, mm -hmm. if I'm working with somebody at the time, I might say, oh, right now I'm playing with Joe Cocker, right now I'm playing with Bonnie Raitt, or, mm -hmm. you know, like, but a lot of times that doesn't make a dent. It's like, you know, <laughs> so what's the point? You know, it's like, I'm, you know, we've been impressed by the best, so, and I, I'm not, I don't care, uh, like the people that pay attention, you know, like that like music, I, mm -hmm. some people know who I am and that's fine. You know, the, the payoff is I've been able to raise a family and, and, you know, I haven't missed any meals in a long time. So, you know, that's, it's great. You know, like I, you know, what I'll tell people is, um, like uh, I played on a lot of hits and I played on a lot of stiffs. Okay. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Did, you know? did your kids growing up think you were cool? Did they think it was cool what you did? I think they did, kind of. And what was what I think, that, looking back on it, the coolest thing was because I was touring a lot, mm -hmm. uh, but I wasn't touring so much that I wasn't home a lot. Wow. Uh -huh. You know, like, so I might be on the road for three months out of the year, you know, mm -hmm. like or four months, but not all at once. Mm -hmm. And so I was home, you know, mm -hmm. I was doing sessions and I was at home, you know, like so you were a able lot to of go nights. To the games and, and the uh, yeah, I was like people. in that, man. Mm -hmm. I like doing stuff with my children. And at the time I was living next door, the first 15 years, uh, well, let's see, a good portion of their childhood was spent 
in Studio City, next to the Studio City Park. I mean, right next to it. Uh -huh. So they were like in everything that was going on there, and and um, like. Uh, did you coach sports? Did well, you I was like, that? well, I did a little bit. Uh -huh. Yeah, I did. Uh -huh. Just a little, but I mean, and but I I did a lot of. Um, I mean, I was at the events, you know, mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. You know, whatever your kids are doing, you know, you show up and, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Little League Baseball for my son or daughter who mm -hmm. had her nose broken playing baseball. Oh, no. But, you know, like, my wife said, you're fine, get in there. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like Wow. You know, but that, which my, my daughter still remembers, you know, she goes, Mom, you were so mean. <laughs> you know, I thought I was fine. You know, and she, but you know, like that. So that's that's uh, that's cool. That they thought it was cool later on, like when they got your a little. Your son's older. kind of following in your. Oh yeah, my son's doing great. He's mm -hmm. a musician. My daughter's a nurse. That we can use. <laughs> I always say we got musicians. How about nurse? Yeah, there you go. Gonna really need one of those real soon. Was she? Uh, was she musical? Is she musical? Not really. No. Um, Is but, your wife? Well, I mean, she can carry a tune, okay. but, and she likes music, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. She really does. We 50 met, years ago. Plus. We met when a, a friend of mine uh, knew that I knew a guy I knew that um, also went to Kansas University was in Wichita mm -hmm. that summer when I was like went down there for a job and then didn't have a job and didn't have one for almost a month and then got one just before I was ready to. I don't know what I was going to do. I was so. Did what? you have a plan B? No. No. And um, but he he said, "Would you like to go?" He was going out with a girl that was a friend of my wife's, Candy, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, he said, "You know, like he was just hooked." He said, "Do you want to go out with this girl as a friend of Suzanne's?" And you know, like she's really nice and good-looking girl, and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." So we went on a date and. Um, the rest is history. <laughs> so, so is there a secret to? I think being married fifty years, I, I got uh, respect. Is is mad uh, respect? I, I have tremendous respect. I've been married twice. What, what um, do you think that there's? I don't know. I don't have any formula. Like, I'll tell you this: my wife's really tolerant, mm -hmm. <laughs> and plus the fact she understood um, that what I was doing. <clears throat> was not a passing fancy, mm -hmm. and she didn't have any illusions about. She didn't you know, try to change at you. Some, yeah, at some point mm -hmm. he's going to like grow up and get a job, you know, and uh, not at all. I mean, two months after we got married, I got offered a really good job. That's how I got to the West Coast mm -hmm. with a, a guy named Jerry Hahn, who, like, with that we had he had a he started this band called the Jerry Hahn Brotherhood, and he was had been playing with. Um, Gary Burton, who was a great vibraphone player. Mm -hmm. Jerry Hahn was a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. And he played with Lou Rawls and he played with John Handy. These names don't mean to any to anything to anybody okay. unless they're jazz people. But he, uh, you know, and but he was from Wichita. Mm -hmm. And he was in San Francisco. And he hired me without ever even hearing me because another guy from Wichita that he used to work with years before that mm -hmm. was somebody I knew. and. He called this guy, and the guy, he said, well, you should hire Mike Finnegan, because he wanted a keyboard player that sang, and, 
and uh, he was starting a band that was going to be a fusion. What the word fusion didn't exist then, mm -hmm. but that's what it was. It was actually the very probably the first fusion, and um, wow. we were signed by John Hammond, mm -hmm. who signed signed Count Basie for God's mm -hmm. sake. I mean, John Hammond was an A and R guy at Columbia mm -hmm. in the in the thirties, man. Mm -hmm. So we got a record deal with Columbia and. But I got the job, and Jerry Hahn called me and offered. I'm going. How do you know who I am? I knew who he was, mm -hmm. and because um, he was, I had records with him on it, and I knew he was from which. And he goes, "Well, Ed Macy says you're the guy," and so you know, I'm offering you the job, and I'm like, I don't even believe this shit, you know. And but I, they, his manager sent me some money. I drove, took my organ, put it in a trailer, drove to San Francisco like two months after we were married. Mm -hmm. And I told my wife, you know, like, I think we're, we're gonna move to San Francisco because I got this good job. And she's like, cool. You know, like, it's amazing. She spent her whole life in Wichita, Kansas, except when she was at Kansas University for mm -hmm. a year or two or a year, mm -hmm. year and a half or something. And so she's a year younger than I So her life was portable? Well, I mean, apparently so. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, her family was all in Wichita. Uh -huh. All her friends were in Wichita, but she was fearless, man. You know, like, <clears throat> and she still is, you know, and she's got a career of her own now. And she, you know, which started in the 90s, uh, you know, when our children were growing up. And, and she said, you know, when they get big, I'm going to need something to do besides, you know, clean up after you. So, and she went back to UCLA and got, and studied addiction and, and, uh, and uh, drug and alcohol counseling and then became a crisis interventionist. Okay, can we talk about that? Because this makes me crazy that she was on that show Intervention, right? She, yeah, up into, uh, she was on it since it started. She's uh, like the, uh, an OG interventionist, man. That is one hardcore thing to be doing. Well, yeah. that's at the least of it. She, her business is like private you know like that's something that she did on the side like right right she'd already been an interventionist for years before you have that. to be balls to the walls to do that because yeah. people are not at their best when you're intervening not at all no but she is it like she's got a gift too i mean she really does because she know she you know if she gets a hold of them they go you know? really oh yeah i mean like there's only been a few times when she intervened on somebody that that did go to that didn't you know cave and go to treatment. Only a few, you know, almost. Uh, I How mean, long does an intervention usually last? For her, it lasts until they go. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, she could. You know, I'll wear them down. I mean, you know, like unless the only times it hadn't worked, and, and they're they're just a, so few. Mm -hmm. It's like a shock if they don't go. I'm like, what? What the hell happened? Did he just die right there? You know, like, but it's uh, that's a gift. Yeah, I mean, cause she, well, she knows, she knows that she is. Um, she does. I mean, this is her life's work. Mm -hmm. You know, like she's like got a gift, like that she can reach these people, and and I don't know how, but she does. You know, and. Does part of it have to do with the fact that she comes from that because she was? Well, yeah, I think it does. Well, she can like she can identify, you know, mm -hmm. like she's heard all the lies, mm -hmm. you know. You can bullshit the fans, but you can't bullshit the players, <laughs> you know. <laughs> do, do, do you think that part of 
perhaps the success of your marriage is that you both speak that language of well that's part of it and mm -hmm. like but we were we had a good marriage for many years up mm -hmm. until we didn't for a while mm -hmm. for a couple of years we and we didn't and I, that was like you know like I said there's the fun years the sick years and the dying years and in the dying years you know it wasn't working but after we sobered up then it was working again you mm -hmm. know and um, but you know she's going back to her deal like mm -hmm. she's just really got a talent she knows and she's got she's educated you know mm -hmm. she's not just somebody that said hey I think I'll be she went to school for it and there's a lot of people running around in the recovery community that couldn't find their ass in a hall of mirrors and you know and you know they call themselves interventionist or you know sober companion or mm -hmm. whatever and I'm and a lot of them are good mm -hmm. and but a lot of them aren't a lot of them, a lot of them are just probably, people right? yeah, yeah a lot of them don't mm -hmm. know anything and mm -hmm. and like just like a, and some of them are running treatment centers and they but they really the treatment center used to be good but now it's owned by a hedge fund and so mm. sorry you know mm -hmm. like they're basically gonna you know bleed it dry and then anybody that happens to be there at the time well that's too bad mm -hmm. and yeah I mean so you know the business is fraught with I mean there's plenty of good drug and alcohol treatment but there's a lot of charlatans mm -hmm. and a lot of bad people and you know and when I say bad people I mean they're they're just doing it for money, by and, money. Yeah, and they're uh -huh. not. They don't know anything about. They're not interested. Mm -hmm. They got third string bench warmers doing the work, and mm -hmm. it's like, so you know, good luck. But and people don't know it. They're victimized and like. Does your wife feed people to a specific? No, no. She's like she just does her. That's job. one thing. Well, mm -hmm. she like she sends people where she thinks they got a shot. Mm. Like she, the place to go is already in place before she goes in. I see. You know, like she's already contacted with the family. Mm -hmm. Her first intervention is with the family, even when they say they want it. Mm -hmm. We want to intervene, like on mom or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, my son or my dad or like whoever is, you know, in the that are they're doing it. For, but even then, they, you know, there's like a lot of work that goes into getting them ready to do it mm -hmm. and finding out who's who. You know, not Uncle Jimmy because he molested her she was a child so if it's all the same to you we'll keep him out <laughs> you know like uh, you know what the fuck's he doing here you know I, I should call the police you know but they and the work that she does is like letting them know okay this is finding out the truth mm -hmm. you know like nobody in the room knows the truth when they begin that the process of before the intervention right. when she gets does the family stuff mm -hmm. and you know and finds out you know like like oh you've been I mean and she knows things I've seen her bust people like where she'll say like so you so you actually uh, were driving him to score right is that how did you know <laughs> how did I know because I know you know I mean that's how good she is mm -hmm. that's very <laughs> scary how did that impact your kids growing up like because they have two sober parents the mother their mother's an interventionist that's intense well they, they were they were older then I mean by the time she got in the mm -hmm. full gear they mm -hmm. were like in, in their late teens and you know like in, did uh, they go through their stuff as kids 
Well, kind of. I mean, my they were when we sobered up. My daughter was seven, and my mm -hmm. son was four. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it wasn't like there wasn't any damage, you know. You know, there was, you know, mm -hmm. and that like, but, you know, like, the the way that gets handled is you're living, you know, now you're living in a sober home, and that means everybody tells the truth. That means you show up when you're supposed to. That means that everybody. You know that we communicate and say what's going on and how we feel and what we're thinking and what we and you know we talk about everything mm -hmm. nothing's off limits and and that's the way it worked and so you know so far no rehab no jail so that's a good thing <laughs> that's a good thing that's a good thing hey pete do we have any questions for mike you know what we do we do i <clears throat> bet we do let's see uh Craig Bettinson uh, asks, uh, Mike, any plans for a book? You have so much history to share. While you're, while you're well, answering. you know what, there's been a, a lot of people have asked me that, and it's kind of weird, but um, I, I don't think so. But I, that could change. I'm, <clears throat> I've actually talked to several people that were really good people and nice people and talented people. One guy in particular that, that said he would write it you know, like, just talk to me and, and write it. And, but, you know, I just, I'm not, a, I'm not that motivated to do something like that right now. But and you do write. Well, I can write. I mean, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid to, you know, like write things down. I write. Like, but you I, write like lots and stuff. I told a guy, well, I used to, but I told, I told, well, I do on Facebook. I write long stuff uh -huh. sometimes, but I just, and that's just to like get it out of my system. As I used to say, get it out. Okay, get it out of your system. Uh -huh. But that's that's uh, it's like um, you know a music book. Jesus, you know, put a glass eye to sleep. You know, it's like, come on, another musician with a book, please. You know, like I'm not even interested. I think I've read one of those, mm -hmm. and that was Bob Dylan's first book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't bad. But I mean, I've read books about other musicians, like, but no autobiographies or anything because, like, what the hell? I know. Did you ever play with Bob? No, mm -hmm. I never. I never did. Mm -hmm. But somebody called me once to audition for him, mm -hmm. and I was drinking at the time, mm -hmm. and I said, "Fuck that! I don't audition." <laughs> That's a good attitude. And um, yeah. yeah, Mr. Wonderful. So, um, but then the guy said, "Well, that maybe I didn't put that quite right. Maybe, you know what we meant was, you want to come down and and play a few numbers with us and see how everybody feels." Uh -huh. And I was like, I was kind of halfway in the bag, and I was <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh yeah, you know." And I said, "Well, maybe I'd do that." So we we're talking about when it's going to happen and all that, and then the guy goes, "Hey, uh, you're not real tall, are you?" <laughs> what? This, I think it was his tour manager. This uh -huh. was years ago, mm -hmm. like in like '82 or '3 or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Yeah, I am. I'm very tall." Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. And I and uh, I said, and "I know he's small enough to shit in a Dixie cup." So. <laughs> You but know, you're going to be sitting at a... And at I, that's what I told him. Yeah. I said, but that... He goes, well, Bob doesn't like tall people. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, and I went, that's what I said. I said, that's hilarious, man. But... And I, but then I said, 
But see, I'll be playing the organ, so he won't know. That's right. And the guy goes, I was, bo-, you know, then I was just being an, an asshole. But mm-hmm. he goes, yeah, well, I don't think that'll work. And I said, I don't either. See ya. Did did you did did any other gigs like come and go that because you were drinking that you didn't kind of seize an opportunity? Not Anything really. that you do you have any really. regrets? Oh please, that's a, <laughs> that'll be part two, folks. Well, yeah, but there's a regrets. That's a waste of spirit. Absolutely. Know? I mean, you know, I have plenty of regrets, but I don't waste too much time thinking about it. That's you know? good. Like, you know, I'm sorry, you're never going to have a better past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although being sober kind of helps the past look not quite so terrible, though. No, but I mean, my past is mostly great, other mm-hmm. than, you know, like, I only regret the things I did and the things I left undone. <laughs> did, you, did you ever get arrested? Did you ever get in trouble? Yeah, it, I did. You did? Yeah, I don't, I don't even want to go into that. Okay. Well, I could. I might as well. Yeah. I was, a, I was like um, arrested by the U.S. Treasury Department. Wow. For cocaine conspiracy. Wow. Which was complete nonsense. Mm. But, you know, in, in my case, it really was. I, I happened to know a guy that did something and I was in the building at the time he sold some drugs and mm-hmm. and like which really pissed me off when I found out about it because I didn't get any but, <laughs> you know like I'm going wait a minute you know but they they had me pegged as a guy that was somehow involved in this whole thing because mm-hmm. I knew the guy mm-hmm. and the way it happened was I was I won't get too more much more specific but I was in a town where yeah. he showed up out of nowhere from where he lived uh-huh. and he had like, he was driving um, two or three hookers and two pounds of cocaine to nice Anchorage, Ala- Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. And he stopped there and uh, just happened to come to this place where I was playing with Finnegan and Wood and um, so we got... You know, we and he came after the gig. He came over and we had a few drinks and smoked some pot. And and meanwhile, this he sold. He made a deal with somebody that was there and sold him like a pound of blow or something. And unbeknownst to me, it was in like we were staying in a condo. Mm-hmm. You know, it had two floors and you know, but you know they 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 busted me thinking I because what happened was I found out that this guy that he that he did this with was a snitch in this other town because somebody from that town called me in San Francisco where I lived at the time and said, hey, remember that guy that was always hanging around giving you guys hash and, and, you know, pills and shit? Well, he's really a snitch. So if he calls you, Mm. don't talk to him. Mm. And I'm like, at the time, I went, fuck, who cares? I, you know, like, I, I didn't do anything, which I didn't, mm-hmm. other than stay high. <laughs> you know, I didn't do any anything illegal other than be in possession of drugs. Mm-hmm. And then the guy did call. Mm-hmm. And when he called, I said, hey, man, uh, I heard uh, somebody called and told me uh, that, that you were a snitch. I said, you should be, like, finding a big, deep hole to get in because... People out there know who you are. Mm-hmm. And so the next day I got arrested because U.S. Treasury, the, the government thought I'd made a threat to this guy. And plus the fact they thought I was involved. And 
I was looking at five to 20. Ooh. And I had, you know, I was really lucky because I got three years probation and I pled guilty because I just wow. said, well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fight this because I'll lose. Mm -hmm. I had good lawyers. I had enough money that I was able to hire really good attorneys, defense mm -hmm. lawyers, and and which and the everything went on in another city, another major city where this had taken place, and mm -hmm. and, um, and then you know, like I was, if I wasn't, the government thought I would like, you know, like cave and tell them all this shit, and I had nothing to tell them. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I know the guy, so what? I haven't seen him since then, which was the truth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I got nothing for you, you know what I mean? And I, the probation report was that I was not really a dangerous person, and so, you know, I avoided prison, you know, which could have easily happened. If that had happened three or four years later when, when you know, that became more of a problem. Mm -hmm. When it got bigger, I probably would have gone to jail, you know. Uh, well, that's a good thing that you didn't. Yeah. Do we have any more questions? Yeah, Pete? Crystal Husband asked. Uh, Hi, Crystal. Did you ever play with Buzz Feetin? Uh, Buzzy Feetin, yeah, yeah, I played Feetin, with yeah. Buzzy a few times. We did, did a few sessions together. Great guitar player, mm. really great. <laughs> yeah. So Michael uh, Kajanich, that you know? Who? Michael Kajanich. Do you know Michael? Yeah, I don't think okay. that's the way he, uh, he says his I name, say. but I don't know. Go ahead. He's Cleveland. He's yeah. in Cleveland. So okay. anyway, he says... Uh, you know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say it better. Hey, Mike, I uh, used to see Mike around L.A. when he played in the Jones Boys or filling with Sweet Grease with our mutual friend and my roommate, the late, great Miles Joseph. Miss those days. Uh, I could listen to those stories all night, which is interesting because... Uh, Michael went last night to see The Who, so there was this connection between oh, with your, my cousin. Oh, with your cousin. Tell, you, tell the story, Pete. Uh, do you want me to come on camera and tell Sure. Okay. Come, no, come, man. Come tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> come with tell like, the story. Like the, right. the narrator voices. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, my cousin, uh, Michelle George, hey Michelle, she was playing violin in the orchestra last night with The Who at Blossom Music Center in Ohio, so Michael was actually at the show, oh, incidentally. Nice which is also the same location that this gentleman has played many times over the years. So uh, really great to see her playing there as well. And she got so. to play with our friend Lauren. With uh, Lauren Gold, who Vicki interviewed in February, at the end of February, Lauren Gold, keyboard player. Yes, and we will be going, Pete and I will be going to see The Who at the Hollywood Bowl. That's right, we shall be. In, in, in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, excellent. Pete, you got something coming up? You got some work coming uh, up? You're leaving me again. I am. 77 Social Club, I think, in Redwood. I don't know. Redwood. What is it? Redwood. It's San Francisco. This Saturday Redwood night. City. Redwood City. Thank you. One show. And then next week at One Night Stands in Detroit, five shows. All right. Nice. And I'll be back. Thank you. All right. Five shows in Detroit. Um, oh, do we have more questions or are we, are we ready to so play some music? So he wanted to talk about Miles, Miles yeah, yeah, shows if I want to honor go. that. Uh -huh. uh, from Mr. Kajanich, uh, Miles Joseph, yeah, man, man, he could play. He was mm -hmm. a really great player. He gone, gone, gone too soon. Had a heart attack, I think, mm -hmm. at when he was like, I don't know, maybe in his early fifties or something. And I'm not sure how, but man, he was a great musician. And and um, yeah, we had a band called the Jones Boys that were all sober guys, and that's why I call we called ourselves the Jones Boys. <laughs> and, and uh, 
I like, like a little it was, irony. Like, it was a fun band, like that we'd play at China Club, and you I know, it was like it was just like guys, just got, got really good local guys mm. that um, that were we were. I mean, we'd make a little money, but mm -hmm. it was like all guys that work with with that worked with other people, you know, that mm -hmm. that you know had side men for guys that played with other people and mm -hmm. stuff, and and uh, we, it was really a great band too. I used to book the. I used to do a night at the China Club in New York, and I would get all the side men from all the bands, and then we'd have a rock jam. That's the oh, thing yeah. that we did. And Steve Postel was one of those people. He's a great player. He is a great player. He's a great. He's, he can play. Um, and he's a good producer too. You produce also, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Uh -huh. Now and again. Is so okay. So tell us. Is there more? Uh, Trish Ann, uh, she says. Hi, um, Trish. Mike, do you feel like your connections paved the way for your success? Because it sounds like everyone that you knew gave uh, gave you a call to work with them. Mm. Well, you know what happens is if you get a job with one guy, then you get like when I moved to San Francisco, that was because of a friend, mm -hmm. a guy that I had actually played with in Wichita, who mm -hmm. told another guy in San Francisco, "This is a guy you should get." Mm -hmm. So I moved out there and I was playing with him, but then I started getting called, you know, like there was in 1970 in San Francisco, there was still a, a good recording scene there, like Wally Hyder's great recording studio and several others in Columbia Records had their own studio there at the mm -hmm. time. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And I got called, you know, like, you know, somebody sees you. You get called to play, like I, I did a couple hours with this band that was big in, in, in that era called Dr. Hook oh, sure. and the Medicine Show. Uh -huh. They had a bunch of hit records. Yeah, I, played on their, I played on their album uh -huh. and on, on several of their hits just because I was in town for a while and after I was in town for a while, people were like, oh, that guy, call him. Mm -hmm. And so then you get called and then you meet other people and then they tell somebody else and that, or else that engineer goes, He's got another gig he's doing a week later, and he's uh, call that guy, and that's how, how it works. Work, how much is your work ethic a part of that? Well, you know, you gotta you, you gotta you gotta today. show up and deliver the groceries too. Yeah, like a lot of it, <laughs> like <clears throat> showing up, be on time, and mm -hmm. you know, bring it. You know, bring the bring the shit, man, and lay it, leave it there. You know, that's what you got to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes there, you know, everything's not. Um, I mean, it wasn't like everybody I ever did anything with was thrilled. You know, there were a few occasions when, no, you know, what was happening. You know, like I didn't much dig it, and they knew it. You know, like, but I tried never not to let that happen. You know, mm -hmm. you know, that's not professional. Mm -hmm. But. Um, or maybe they just didn't dig it, you know. So like, you know, you can't be all things to all people, but mm -hmm. you know, you can come close. You can come close. <laughs> uh, um, I want to say hi to. Are there more? Um, I was going to. Okay, because I was going to say hi to some people that have been watching. Hey, Phil, Isaacson, Crystal. We said hi to um, Mitch Wiseman. Do you know Mitch? Mitch was the original Fake Paul in Beatlemania. He was on Broadway in, in the movie. No. And Mitch is a good friend of mine, old friend of mine. And Jody Siegel, do you know? Oh, you, of, course. Must, of course, I know Jody. I played on, on one of her albums. Oh, she's fabulous. I love Jody. And uh, Joseph, Penny Hay, um, Anthony. Um, Baron Romande. Oh. Let, let go jo back. Wait, who? 
He's a great. Van Romain? I know no, Van. Ba no, oh, Barry, Barry Ramon, Raymond Day. He's a great saxophone player. Ah, and so and, is. And I've worked with him a lot too. And I've known Linda Salvin. She's a friend. And Joey Pirro. He's a. Uh, is he a trumpet player? Jo I, 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 Joey. Um, he's a. He's a. a uh, I think he's a trumpet player. Hi, Mike Deville. Um, oh God, Joe Server. Hi. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody there. Um, hi, Mary. Hi, Cindy. Um, Duffy Walton's watching. Uh, Get a job. <laughs> hi, Karen Adeline. Um, okay, Patrick Andrews. Okay, so now um, Mary Scott, David. Hi, Eileen Angel. Mary Scott O'Connor. She's, you know what? She's a, she used to be a blogger. Maybe she still is. Mm -hmm. She used to write some pretty searing stuff that I dug. Nice, sweet. <laughs> She's still writing. Um, so, so tell us something about what I'm going to play now. We're going to play us out with Sing Me Back Home. So, Oh, well, that's, you know, I just started doing, working on a solo project, and uh, it's pro being produced by a good friend of mine named J.J. Blair, and he's mm -hmm. a, a musician and an engineer and mm -hmm. a producer, and he's... Um, uh, been pestering me for 10 years to to do a, a, a solo record. Mm -hmm. Now, before I go into that, I want to mention that I've been playing with the Phantom Blues Band since mm -hmm. like 2000, and that's Taj Mahal's. They they've got they got formed to play with Taj Mahal, so uh -huh. I worked with Taj a lot with them. But then, since then, we've done three CDs of our own, the Phantom nice. Blues Band, and, mm -hmm. and we, we're um, we got another one that's going to come out um, in uh, probably November, around Thanksgiving or so, mm -hmm. maybe December. But I just wanted to mention that because, like, a, you know, I've done a lot with those guys, and we've recorded as a band with like a ton of other artists like mm -hmm. that come to LA to record with us. And um, if they're playing rhythm and blues music, they want us. Nice. And so we've done a lot. Of, I mean, we've like, who have you played with? Oh man, I can't even begin. Oh, okay. My mind is a. I have one guy named Curtis Salgado, who's a great blues singer and songwriter, has got had a big. I mean, he's been won so many awards mm. from the Blues uh, Foundation. In fact, Curtis and I won. I was going to say you won a couple yourself. Yeah, well, me and Curtis won mm. Blues Blues Song of the Year in 2017, mm. and uh, they have their awards show in Memphis every year, but. Curtis has been Entertainer of the Year and mm -hmm. Blues, you know, Best Blues Album and, but you know, Best Rhythm and Blues, Best Soul Album. I mean, he's like, you know, but uh, I, that's, I, that, there's been so many and a lot of other people mm -hmm. too, but going back to what you asked me, so J.J. Mm -hmm. Blair mm -hmm. is producing the solo album that he kept pounding me to do mm -hmm. and um, and he just uh, so we've we've cut like four tracks and now we got a deal on Joe Bonamassa's uh, keeping the blues alive label Sweet. and um, so we're gonna keep going but we just cut this uh, you know there's a video of, of us me in the studio with these guys um, that are in, have a band called Jack Shit <laughs> um, like, and they but they're all like one of them, one of them plays uh, plays with um, uh, uh, Jackson Brown and, and two of the guys play with Elvis Costello and but we cut the track uh -huh. totally live like uh, at East West Studios and uh, JJ's the engineer and 
you know, like it's really on you. It's cool. We've done like of the stuff we've been doing. Like mm -hmm. a, a lot of it's live, and you know, with like with playing and singing and uh, all at the same time. Oh, just, playing and singing like, at the same just time. Like, just like we used to do in the old days. <laughs> but um, you know, that's that's pretty cool when that when that happens. Um, you know, and these guys can sing too, and um, so. That, that's what it is, and it's a it's a tune that called uh, "Sing Me Back Home" was written by Merle Haggard. Wow. I mean, I'm doing a I'm doing a blues album, but you know, like that's a wide <laughs> palette, you know. Like, and this is this song's like was came out like Merle recorded it in 1969. Is it I think. a prison song? Is it a yeah? Prison? It's, a yeah prison it's a prison song. song. Yeah. And like, but his was kind of peppy. Oh. You know, like okay, it was like a when it came out, it was kind of up tempo, like not real fast, but mm -hmm. kind of, you know. But we, you know, JJ suggested it, which it would have never occurred to me, and it just so happens that I'm, you know, I've listened to a lot of Merle Haggard because he's one of the greatest country singers of all time mm -hmm. and songwriters, and and um, you know, so I went, man, I know that tune, like we can. We can, yeah, we're gonna make that. It'll be kind of gospel-y, bluesy, country, popular American music. That's right. <laughs> so that's what it is. All right. Well, we're gonna play. We're gonna we're gonna give this an attempt. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back there and, and help you out, Pete. We're trying um, here. We got we got like big technology. Yeah, we got big. Here. We got we got the the MacBook Pro and the iPhone. We're we're Apple yeah, products. Like, you know, don't say cut. <laughs> There's no cut. There's, Mike, thank you so much for doing this. It was well, my so, pleasure. Thanks so for having me. So lovely to get to know you a little bit, and uh, I've been such a fan of your of your music for so long, and I, I look forward to coming out and, and seeing you. Are, are you guys going to be gigging? Well, let's see. I'm playing tomorrow night at um, at the uh, write-off room in Woodland Hills okay, with, who you playing a with Abraham Laboreal as the mm -hmm. bass player, mm -hmm. and James Gadson is the drummer, and uh, Bill Lynch is the guitar player. And it's just something to, What kind know, of great American music are you playing tomorrow playing, night? Yeah, we're just playing popular American music. Okay. I mean, those guys are all studs, man. Mm -hmm. Abe and James Gatson have all, both played on thousands of records. And Bill's a good musician and singer and songwriter. And he owns the club. Nice. So, you know. <laughs> that helps. You know, and it's a real cool hang. Okay. And there's no cover charge. So. That's even better. And how about with these guys? Are you going to be playing with these guys anytime soon? No, no. That that, that was just a session. We cut tr okay. two, two, two tracks. Mm -hmm. I'm going I'm to have a lot of different guys on this record. And I'm really happy those guys were able to join me on this, on this tune and another one we recorded that day. All right. So now, Pete, can you get the camera down on the... Uh, let's can you get, get down? Can you get down? Yeah. Let's Tell me the when you're there back. because we've got delay. The screen back a little bit. And, all right. Is that good? Yeah. All right, so wait, I'm getting ready to, to hit play. This is really high tech here. Yeah, all right, I'm getting ready I'm to, so ashamed. I mean, I know, I, I'm shaming you. I'm, I'm shaming you, putting you, all right, we ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. We gotta put sound on. Say goodbye. 
playback was there. All right, we're gonna try this on a different browser. And uh, we're gonna try that again, folks, so that you can actually hear this. Still sounded great. It sounded great, but it was coming in weird. Both, both tracks. Both, both tracks, yeah. That one and yeah. the other two. Well, we're, gonna, we're gonna have it in one track. Stereo. We're gonna oh. have it, okay. Thank you.
Thank so you for that was sort of the debut of that, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it is. By, you know, first time ever heard in public, I think. Well, there you go. You heard it here. Um, it isn't maybe, even on a record yet. I just love that. Maybe we'll have to go out and see at the write-off room tomorrow. What do you think, Pete? Let's, let's take a road trip. Um, yeah. We'll see you out there. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. Take care, everybody.